Hey, morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Town and Field Sundays Online. Uh, like Katie said, if you are here for the first time, I'm really glad that you found us. My name's Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, yeah, we kicked off a new series last week. It's on the spiritual life, and we're uh, calling it God With Us. And so we're using this passage from Psalm 139, uh, verses 7 to 10, to sort of um, organize this sermon series and kind of remind us of what we're, what we're thinking about throughout this time on the spiritual life. And so, um, yeah, I want to use this as a bit of a call to worship in some ways this morning. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know how you're feeling. I don't know what your week was like. Uh, but maybe uh, this passage could be something like to uh, open you up. And you can use it as a way to be receptive this morning to, to God and his presence with you and, and what he wants to do uh, through his word this morning to you, for you. So, yeah, let me read Psalm 139, verses 7 to 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed down in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, or if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. Now let me pray and then we'll, we'll jump into it. Father, we want to acknowledge that you're here with us, that you are... Um, you're present, and we say that we want to be open and receptive to you this morning. And so I pray that by your word and by your spirit, and even through me this morning, God, you'd meet your people, and uh, you'd fill us with your uh, animating and life-giving presence, God. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this uh, in your name. Amen. Um, last week, uh, we looked at this uh, story uh, where Jesus has this uh, conversation with a man named Nicodemus. He's a spiritual teacher, and Jesus says to Nicodemus, he's like, Nicodemus, uh, you think you're um, joining with God in all that he has for you and all that he's doing around the world. And he says, actually, you need a new source for your life, Nicodemus. Like, you need a new center. And um, Nicodemus has no idea what he's talking about. And Jesus says to him, you need a new source, and the new source that you need is me. You want to get in on the spiritual life? You want to get in on uh, walking and experiencing and living in the presence of God? It has something to do with being receptive to me. And uh, you're going to... Um, encounter my presence in my life uh, through me. And so um, that theme of the spiritual life and Jesus being the source, it's developed throughout all the Gospels, but particularly in, in John, which is the Gospel we opened up last week, and it's the one we're going to look at today. Uh, in John chapter 15, where I want to pick up on this today, I think Jesus continues to develop this idea of what it means to cultivate and, and be receptive to God's presence and how to walk with him. Um, Jesus knows he's about to go to the cross. Uh, he tells the disciples this just prior to John chapter 15. And he's kind of spending these last couple days uh, teaching them and reminding them. And so that's where we pick up here in John 15. Um, he's going to use this uh, metaphor to talk about the spiritual life. And it's a metaphor many of you have probably heard, of for, heard before. He says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. The Father's the vine dresser. And actually there's a way in which um, you as the branch and I as the vine are supposed to be like seamless. There's this kind of mystical unity between the two of us where you almost can't tell where one starts and another, another, another finishes. Um, and 
in order to get like the gravity of what Jesus is saying here, to you and I probably, uh, we're like, oh, that's a nice metaphor. It's probably helpful to describe the spiritual life and what it means to be in relationship with God. Uh, but for first century hearers, and particularly for Jesus' disciples, uh, what Jesus is saying comes with a tremendous amount of gravity. Like it's bold. It's an audacious claim that Jesus makes. And I want you to kind of get in on that. And so I'll give you some context before we read this passage. Um, this uh, moment when Jesus is talking to his disciples, it's around the time of Passover. And so they're spending a lot of time around the temple. And um, if you are an ancient Israelite uh, living in this time, uh, when you walk through one of the doors of the temple, not all of them, but one of the doors, uh, there's, a, there's an engraving in the stone. And it's this engraving of this massive, beautiful vine. And there's this uh, beautiful fruit that it's producing. And so part of the idea of this engraving was that um, Israel actually saw the vine as a part of their identity. Like, this is who we are. And um, part of what it meant to be Israel was to attach yourself uh, to everything that it meant to be Israel. That was to be uh, an ethnic Jew. It was to be someone who lived in Israel, the promised land that was like metaphorically, it was like flowing with milk and honey. It was to be someone who organized their life around the temple where God's presence was. It was to be someone who um, organized their life around the Torah, the law. It's like this gift. If we organize our lives around it, it's like this gift uh, to us as Israel. Um, it's, it's to be in relationship with the priest and to participate in the sacrificial system. And so there was kind of all of these external sort of uh, practices, habits, markers of what it meant to be part of the people of God in that day. And if you attached yourselves to those things, it was like this, uh, all of these practices, it was like you were participating in the vine. You were part of Israel. You were part of the people of God. And if you did that, it produced, it had a power in your life to produce something. It produced fruit. And part of the fruit of Israel, as they participated in all of these things, was to produce the kingdom of God. It was to produce the kingdom of God. And so that's how they understood themselves. We go to the temple. We, we uh, practice Torah. We... Uh, we live in Israel, we're ethnic Jews, we, all, all of these sorts of things. And that is how we participate in the kingdom of God coming to fruition in the world. It's a, it's a very, um, it's very interesting idea. And so I don't know where Jesus is in this moment where he's talking to the disciples in John 15. We don't know. But uh, let me presume for a second. Maybe he's in a home, maybe he's in a field somewhere, maybe he's on a hill, I don't know. But just for a second, just imagine what if Jesus around Passover is with his disciples and what if they're standing outside of this door? What if he's looking up there and then he, um, he makes this claim in John chapter 15? He says, actually, I'm the vine. I'm the vine. I'm the organizing principle of your life. I'm the source. It's not all those other things, not the temple, not the Torah, not, not all those other things you've organized your life around. I'm the thing that all those things have been pointed to. I'm the fulfillment of them. If you want a source that is going to produce the life of heaven. If you want a source that is going to produce the kingdom of God, it looks like attaching yourself to me. Not all those other things. It looks like attaching yourself to me, to being in relationship to me. I am the vine. I'm the one. And so uh, this is a bold, bold claim. And if you're an ancient Israelite, you're like, wait a second. Are you sure? Am I, am I hearing you correctly? You're claiming to replace all these things. And Jesus said, yes. That's who I am. I'm the vine. So uh, if you have a Bible, you can open up to John chapter 15, verse 1 to 17 there. We're going to read. It, it'll take a while, but um, yeah, try and listen with those ears. Hear what Jesus is actually claiming here. Verse 1. He says, I am, I'm the true vine, 
my father, he's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes it away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. He says this, verse 4, Abide in me and I in you. As, the branch, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch, he withers. If you're not connected to me as the source, it's like you're going to wither. It's like you're going to burn up into ashes. It's not actually real, genuine life. Keep going with me there. The branches are gathered, they're thrown into the fire, they're burned. If you abide in me and my words, they abide in you. You can ask whatever you want and it'll be, it'll be done for you. And by this, my Father's glorified that you would bear much fruit and so you'd prove. You'd prove to be my disciples by the fruit that's born in your lives. Look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you for the reason that my joy would be in you and that your joy may be full or your joy would be complete. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that somebody lay down his life for his friends. He says, you're my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant doesn't know what his master's doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love, so that you will love one another. So I want to ask a few kind of organizing questions for our time as we look at this passage. Uh, three questions. First one, what's the invitation? What's Jesus, what's Jesus offering here? Um, second one, how do we actually cultivate it? Like, how's the actual, what are the practices? What's the, the basic kind of how-to of uh, the spiritual life. And then um, finally, like, what does it actually produce? What is the spiritual life that Jesus is inviting us to? What, what does it actually produce in our lives? So what's the invitation? Here's the claim. Jesus is saying, I am the vine. The Father is the vine dresser. He's the one who prunes and cuts and is doing stuff that we don't kind of want to really understand. But he's producing, he's doing something in us that we, it actually produces life and you're the branch. And so there's supposed to be like this seamless, seamless connection between you and Jesus. And um, maybe... Jesus is using this metaphor, and he's using it in relation to the spiritual life. But I actually think that this uh, reality that Jesus is describing is true no matter what. It's just true of human beings. It's true of life. It's this. It's that every single one of us has a source from which we derive meaning in our life. Something that we attach ourselves to that has power over us. Like it, 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 When we attach ourselves to a source, um, it... It produces something. It transforms us. It matures us. For good or for wrong, whatever. It has a power over us in our life. It forms us. And it eventually produces something. Whatever you attach yourself to, it will produce a fruit. There's a byproduct to it. And Jesus is saying, there are a whole bunch of things that you can attach your life to. And all of them are, uh, they're not all bad. Uh, they're not all great. Uh, they're, in some ways, you could, you could say, in some ways, they're kind of indifferent. But there's one, like the, the main source of your life, the thing that is going to integrate your life and bring wholeness, the thing that's going to uh, bring a theological word, shalom, the thing that's going to bring heaven into your life at some level is me. 
I'm the one. I'm the one that you're supposed to uh, attach to. I'm the source. I'm the vine is this image that's going to produce actually real, genuine, lasting fruit in your life. So, the, so this statement from this claim that Jesus makes implies that actually there's a whole bunch of other vines that you can choose that are, are actually going to produce something. Uh, maybe it's fine or maybe it's broken and it leaves you exhausted or weary or maybe worse, it leaves you embarrassed and feeling shame and guilt and like, wow, I really wish I wouldn't have given myself to that source. Um, so there's a bunch of these, and I know they're somewhat cliche, but I'll use some simple ones. Uh, one thing that I think a lot of people derive meaning to that they kind of attach themselves to is fitness. So whether let's just pretend it's the gym. If the gym is the place that you are going to derive meaning and you like the fruit that the gym produces, you know, six-pack abs, nice rocking body, all that sort of thing, you attach yourself to it, and it has a power. It transforms you. There's a formative power to the gym. If you do it right, eventually it produces something. It produces, you know, a very fit body. And so if you give yourself completely to that, if you make that thing the ultimate thing, your, your number one vine, um, ultimately it will do something for you. Uh, you can do it with other things like, like business or any sort of job. Um, again, none of these things are inherently wrong. Uh, if you make your business the vine, the thing that you give yourself, the thing that you attach yourself to to give you meaning, um, it, it has a power to transform you. It has a power to form and shape you as a human de- being. And it's going to produce something, a fruit, in your life. And what is the fruit of that? Well, if you do it right, you'll probably, have, you'll probably be wealthy, um, probably have some status. People will look up to you and respect you. And, uh, and there'll be a whole bunch of different kind of fruit. Um, you can do the same thing with romance, right? Maybe there's someone that you attach to uh, as a vine, uh, they're your source of meaning, and that transforms you. There's a power in your life that's going to produce something in you. And if you do it right, hopefully it produces some sort of fruit, like, you know, a nice ooey-gooey love and all that sort of thing. Now, here's the interesting thing that I find about our culture. So one of the things that marks our culture right now is that, the thing that one of the things that we love to do is we love to take pictures of the fruit. Whatever it is that we have uh, given ourselves to, we like to take pictures of the fruit and then post it all online and show people it. And so whether it's like a nice fit body, you go all over Instagram, people are posting all those sorts of things, right? Or maybe it's uh, this wealthy sort of life that's marked by comfort and ease and luxury and all that sort of thing. Again, you post it all over YouTube or Instagram or whatever. We love to take picture of the fruit. Um, or maybe it's romance or, or whatever it is. Uh, but this is the claim I think that Jesus is making and I think the, the point that he's making. It's not that all those things are bad in and of themselves, but any time you make one of those things, the vine, like the ultimate thing, what it does is it leads to uh, you either being like exhausted by it, it beats you up, it never actually produces fruit that lasts, you find yourself tired by it, you find yourself maybe dehumanized, worse, maybe it leads you to compromise yourself, Anytime you lift something up and make that thing your vine, your source, it could dehumanize you. It it leads to disintegration. Um, And what Jesus is saying is that actually there's only one source for your life. There's only one attachment. There's only one vine that if you attach yourself to it, uh, its power will transform you. And it will produce something in you that actually is lasting. It's actually valuable. And here's the thing that I love about it is that it doesn't say all those other things are bad. 
What it does in psychological terms is it, it, it brings integration to your life. It puts all of those things in perspective. It puts all of them in right order. In theological terms, it brings like shalom to your life. It, it gives you perspective so that you approach all of those other things in, in a way that's healthy. Uh, there's only one source is the claim that Jesus is making for your life. Uh, and all of us have to figure out what our source is going to be. And Jesus is saying, if you want in on a life that leads to like some level of integration, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look like learning how to like remain in me, abide in me. So second question, how do we actually, uh, how do we actually cultivate it? Um, go to verse 5. It says, I am the vine, Jesus says, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Look at that word abide there. Maybe in some of your Bibles it says remain. Abide in me. Remain in me. I like the way that Eugene Peterson, he translates it in the message. He says, make your home in me. Like, make your home in my love. Um, Eleven times it's used in this passage in John chapter 15. And so the question is, how do we cultivate it? How do we cultivate the spiritual life? How do we learn to, if we're going to choose to abide or remain or make our home in his love, how do we actually do it? Look at verse 9 with me for a second. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now abide, abide in my love. I know this is a total pastor thing to say, but I don't know if there's a verse in the Bible that is more um, unbelievable than this one. That in the same way that the Father has endlessly and ceaselessly poured out his love towards the Son, that's what we read about, about the Trinity. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the, glorifies the Spirit. The Spirit glorifies the Son. It just keeps going and going and going. In the same way, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That's what he tells to his disciples. That's what he tells to Nicodemus. That's what he tells to you and I today. Um, I think this, is, uh, this idea of like learning how to cultivate this or abide or remain or make our home in that reality that God loves us, I think this is where we often go, go wrong in our relationship with God. Um, I think we often approach God and we, um, <clears throat> we relate to him in a way, in the way that um, we think he feels about us. Like, I, I think he feels this way about me, so that's the way I'm going to relate to him. Rather than, uh, this is how he's said he relates to us, and so I'm going to believe that, and that's how I'm going to choose to relate to him. He says, I actually want you uh, to remain in how I genuinely feel about you. How I've genuinely acted towards you. Uh, in God's love, it's steady. It's unchanging. Uh, it is literally permanent for you. And, what, and, and the thing that you and I have to learn in the spiritual life is how to learn to live into that. Um, he says, uh, did you notice in John 15, he says, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Like, I've chosen you. I delight in you. I want you. You have the love of the Father. It's being poured into you the same way that it's been poured into me. So stay. Like, stay in that love. Like, that's the key to the gospel. Um, David Benner, he's a, a spiritual director, and, um, which means he, like, meets with people and listens to them kind of in the way that a counselor would, but is just trying to help them learn how to pay attention to, like, where's God at in their life and what's the Spirit doing? And so uh, Benner specializes in this. He's wrote, written a number of books, and he does this little exercise with a bunch of his, I think he calls them mentees or something like that. But um, he does this little exercise where he asks them this question. He says, what do you think the first thing that comes into the mind of God when he thinks about you? In other words, like, how does God feel about you? What's the first thing he thinks about? And he says, in all of his years listening to people, you know what the most common word is? What does God think about you when he first thinks about you? The most common word that people say to Benner is disappointed. God's disappointed in me. Because I'm still struggling with the same things I, I, I was struggling with 10, 15 years ago. Because I don't, I don't share my faith with anyone. Because I'm still struggling with like resentment and pride and frustration. And I actually haven't forgiven a bunch of people in my life. 
I'm not that generous either to the church or to the people around me, um, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I still struggle with the same, like, arrogance and pride and temptations that I've struggled with for so long. Uh, he's disappointed in me. That's, that's, that's how God feels about me. And Benner goes, uh, the problem with that is that uh, that has uh, almost, it has nothing to do with uh, how G- who Jesus has revealed God to be and how he feels about us. Um, it's nothing close to what the Bible actually teaches. Uh, it, it, the Bible teaches that he longs to be gracious to you. Like he, he anticipates showing you compassion. He wants to be with you. He, Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son. Literally, the father's like, he's gathering up his clothes that he can sprint towards you with open arms. Um, literally, the gospel, if we actually, as Christians, if we actually believe that the gospel is good news and the cross, like the cross definitively tells us that Jesus, God himself, gets up there and the world, all that we're capable of, all the violence that we're capable of, all the resentment, all the pride, all the self-preservation, um, all of the resentment that we can hold towards one another, all of the injustice that we're capable of, all of the systems that we participate and we propel in. It's like all of that gets poured out. It unleashes itself on Jesus. All the brokenness in religion, in politics, it pours itself out on the person of Jesus. And God himself takes it, he absorbs it. And here's the thing. Like if you actually believe this, is he takes it and he doesn't crush them back. Like he won't crush He won't return the favor. He just takes it and says, I forgive you. I love you. It's gone. My arms are wide open. Come to me. I want to be with you. In fact, not only do I love you, I like you. Um, I I was thinking about that this week. Do you actually, like do I, do I, do we genuinely believe that God likes us? Like, Like Matt, I want to be with you. I want to spend time with you. I think if he loves us, he likes us. Um, Jesus kind of ex- expands on this in verse 15. He says, No longer, I don't call you servants. For the servant doesn't know what his master's doing, but I've called you friends. You're friends of God. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Um, this word in Greek, it kind of has this multiple uh, double connotations. One, on one side, this word friend, it kind of, uh, it's used in many places, even in the scriptures, to mean like, it's like your best man. It's like the day that you're standing up at your wedding, you're my friend, you're my best man. Like, that's what Jesus is saying. I I don't call you servant anymore. I want you to, you're like my best man. Like, I want you in there. I want you to see my face. I want you to be with me. I want you to hear my story. I want you to feel the things that I feel. Like, I I want that type of intimacy and relationship with you. Uh, The other side of the connotation of this word friends is this idea of being part of a royal cabinet. So like a prime minister or a president or a king. Um, I literally want you like part of my cabinet. I want you to be one of my friends. I want you to know my thoughts. I want you to help me make decisions. I want, I want you to be part of my royal cabinet. I want you close to me. Um, Jesus is interested in your life. He loves you. And um, he wants friendship with you. I... I think sometimes I look at like people who I classify as very spiritual and people who seem to figure out this like abiding, remaining thing, remaining in his love and seem to have sort of this vibrant spiritual life. Like I look at them and I think like, oh man, they must have, they must have like a really intense, you know, regiment and, and they must um, have this thing figured out, this spiritual life and, um, you know, maybe they got like this towel in their faces and they're just interceding and praying and praying and praying and kind of like, okay, give me another towel, you know, like, let me keep going. And um, I find a lot of times when I spend time with people who I look up to and respect, um, and I, I, I find that there's a lot of power in their life, 
Um, I find that one of the things they talk about the most is just not putting their head in the towel and weeping and interceding. Uh, I find one of the things that they do the most is they just like enjoy being in God's presence. Like they just like to be with him and they just know that God loves them. And it's, it's actually, they can just kind of rest in that. And so really, really practically, like how do you remain in his love? How do you abide in the fact that he likes you, that he's for you? Um, I think sometimes we think we have to like binge Christian content, like read as much Bible as I can, pray as much as I can, watch as many sermons as I can, whatever it is for you, what it looks like to binge Christian content. And in reality, as many of you know, um, I think what, it's like the amount of information that is available to us uh, is more in like one day, in one sitting, accessible through the iPhone, then people all the way up to like the 17th and 18th centuries had an entire lifetime that was available to them. And so surely the answer is not more in binging. Surely the answer to like remaining and cultivating the spiritual life and remaining in his love and abiding in that and trusting that that's true and allowing that to kind of be your default or the, the place that you sync up to regularly. Um, surely it has something to do with more like meditating or soaking or like reminding yourself of that. Maybe it's just like taking a phrase or an idea uh, like Psalm 139, 7 that, we, that, I, that I read at the beginning. Where could I go from your spirit, God? Where could I flee from your presence? You're right here. You love me. You're for me. You, you long to show me compassion and grace. And, and to like allow him, his presence, Jesus to be our source and his spirit to transform us to be the power in our lives that actually produces something different. Um, I think when we do that, you get things like Psalm 1. He's like a tree. You become like a, a tree that's planted by streams of water that yields fruit in season. It's leaf, it doesn't wither. It's not burned up. And everything that he does, everything that you do, he prospers. A.W. Tozer, who I quoted last week, he calls this, the, he has a phrase for this, he calls it the gaze of the soul. It's this state where, and, and I hope I make this clear, it's this state where no matter what's going on around you, like chaos, a confusion, there's this inner gaze of the soul where you're like remaining in him. You're abiding in him. And, and the reality is, is that no matter what's going on around you, inwardly there's this peace, rest, joy, love. That, that the loudest voice in your head would be something about like his love for you and that that would produce something in you. That would be the source of your life. That's, that would be the thing that you experience um, in moments of prayer, in moments of reading, in moments of walking with God, but also in like the really normal moments of life. I want to talk about what that abiding, that remaining, and practicing that and cultivating that, what that actually is supposed to produce. Jesus tells us, what is it supposed to produce? Look at verse 8 for me. Um, John 15, verse 8, he says, By this my Father is glorified that you would bear much fruit. What does Jesus want for you? As you attach yourself to him that is the source and his power, his spirit, as you remain in his love and you learn to abide in his love, as that becomes the thing that you sync up to and default to, it would produce much fruit so that you would prove to be my disciples. Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you for what reason? That my joy would be in you and that your joy would be full. The point is that you produce fruit. The intimacy with Jesus, remaining in the Father's love, him being the source of your spiritual life, that it, that it actually activates and produces fruit in your life. Um, I heard the story this last week. Um, Michelangelo, who's famous for uh, sculpting that famous, like the, perf- the perfect statue of David, um, he was asked about his method, like his method for sculpting that, that statue. And his reply was that... Um, 
He saw in the untouched marble uh, the perfectly sculpted statue uh, as though it existed. So he, he looked at that uncut marble and he saw David just as he was supposed to be. And he said this, his task, this was my task, Michelangelo said, my task was to chip away everything that was not David. It was to chip away everything that was not David. And I think similarly, when Jesus becomes the vine, the source of our life, and his power and his spirit as we remain in his love, as we remember the gospel, as we meditate and soak on it, what it does is it produces a fruit, and the fruit is, is that you become genuinely who you're supposed to be. That you actually produce the things that God would have you produce. Who, who you're, a, a, a genuine, fully human, someone who reflects uh, the love of God. And so the call is simple. The call is to, to learn to abide. Look at verse 5. I am the vine, and you're the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him... He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I think fundamentally the, the claim that Jesus is making in this passage and, and the invitation that he offers and, and as he invites us to cultivate this um, in our lives, the claim that he's making is he's saying that um, when I'm the vine of your life, like when I'm the ultimate source of your life, when I'm the first thing, the priority, this actually leads to you becoming more fully who you're supposed to be, more fully human rather than dehumanized. Um, anything else uh, in your life, when you put it as the ultimate source, it's going to lead to disintegration. Um, it's going to become uh, something that eats you alive. It's going to be something, something that actually doesn't satisfy you. It become, it, it'll, it'll leave you leaving tired or weary or, like I said earlier, worse, uh, embarrassed, Walking in shame, feeling like guilty, and wishing you wouldn't have, wishing you would have done that. Um, and so, I guess what I'm pleading with you this morning, as like a pastor, is that um, is that you'd prioritize friendship with Jesus this week. I know it's so cliche, but that you would prioritize um, being with Him, learning to be still, and to just listen and to remain in His love. Um, I think sometimes we, hopefully, I'm not losing you, but I think sometimes we think that like. God is going to manifest himself outside, uh, all over the place. And he does that. Like, and I haven't really experienced that, but I, I believe that he does. But I actually think the primary place that Jesus says God's going to manifest himself is that as you abide in him, he's going to manifest himself inside of you. That he's going to change and he's going to transform you. That his love is going to, to continue to, over a long period of time, produce a different kind of fruit. And what is that fruit? It's love, it's joy, it's peace. Um, read with me verse 11 again. These things I've spoken to you so that, that my joy would be in you. That your joy would be full, that it would be complete. Uh, a lot of times we think like joy and peace and love. So for example, like, like with joy. I think we think we're going to have joy when kind of everything's right. When it's all right, then I can experience joy. And Jesus is saying, no, no. I want you to experience joy even in the midst of suffering. And that's, what, that's, that's the type that no matter what's going on, you'll experience joy even in the midst of suffering because you're connected to me. And that's what the Spirit does. That's what he brings about in your life. A lot of people think, oh, I, I want to experience peace. And I'll experience peace, I'll experience rest when I have the absence of chaos or the absence of confusion. And Jesus goes, no. Actually, for you to become fully human, as you attach yourself to me and my Spirit and you remain in my love, you are going to experience peace that passes understanding even in the middle of the chaos, even in the middle of the water. It's the same with love. We think, oh, 
I want to love people. I want to love my family. I want to love those who love me back. And Jesus is like, no, I got something even better for you. You're going to become so fully human. You're going to reflect the love of God as an image bearer of God. As, you, as I'm your vine and you're the branch and you remain in me, it produces a fruit in you that literally it's enemy love. You, you even love your enemies. You become so fully human. It produces this fruit in you that, that leads to an integration of your life. That you can, you're like, you can with, withstand anything. And so uh, I'm for sure going to lose people here, but that's okay. I'm going to do it anyways. A lot of people make this divide. We make this massive mistake in spirituality with God. We divide things up and we say, these are the sacred things. This is the spiritual life. Prayer, reading our Bibles, going to church, worshiping, etc., serving, all this kind of stuff. And then the rest of our life is this, the, this, the secular stuff. So sacred and secular is, is two words that you could use to talk about this divide. And this is what Jesus is saying in this passage in John 15. He's saying that actually the spiritual life looks like remaining him, abiding in him. And that does look like through practices of you know, prayer and silence and solitude and all these sorts of things. But actually what happens is the sacred and the secular, heaven and earth, they begin to overlap. Because as you abide and you remain in him, what it does is it produces in you love and joy and peace, even in the midst of all those things, and so that it begins to manifest itself. Heaven begins to invade earth, and the spiritual life isn't just something that's kind of like, oh, he's over there navel-gazing, looking at himself, or praying, and kind of in, in his own world over there. No, no. It begins to transform you and make you into the genuine article of what it means to be a human being, that more of heaven invades more of earth through you. God's love God's peace, God's joy is for the world. And that's part of what it means to, to, to join in the spiritual life. See, I think that um, as I look around at Langley and as I look around at the Lower Mainland, I actually don't think that the Lower Mainland and Langley, I don't think it needs more Christians who are like, um, who have tons more information about God and who God is and all sort of thing. Like, yes, I want people to learn how to read their Bibles. I want people to learn more about who God is. I want people to... I'm all about learning, okay? But I actually think what, what the lower, man, lower mainland, what, what Langley needs is it needs people who have freely received the love of God, who have learned how to like remain in that love, to allow it to transform them, and then they freely give it. They give it through their love. They give it through creative acts of service. They give it all over their life in the most mundane places where they think that, oh, this is mean, this is surely secular. No, no, that's a sacred moment because God is with you. He's right there and he's infusing you with his life and there's a, a million places that you get to participate in, in, in his love filling the world and I think that's what, that's what Langley actually needs. And so um, I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe some of you have attached to a whole bunch of different sources uh, maybe there's a bunch of different vines in your life that you've, you've attached to. And maybe they've left you feeling weary or exhausted. And maybe what you need to do this morning is just say, I actually need to come back and just remember that you're the first vine. And I need to sit and I kind of need to learn to remain in your love. Uh, others of you may be feeling something deeper than that, something like shame. Uh, you're, you're, you're feeling embarrassed and maybe even feeling guilty because of uh, the way that you've compromised yourself by giving yourself to some of these other, these other sources of life that actually all that fruit that you thought was going to produce something that was like life-giving and good, it actually just, it's, it's like turned to ashes in your hands and, um, and you're embarrassed by it and you're full of shame. And, um, and actually what you need to hear this morning is that uh, God loves you 
uh, he will continue uh, again and again and again to forgive you. He's for you, and even more than that, he likes you. He wants your presence this morning, and you got to sit and you got to remain in that this morning. And others of you, maybe just maybe, and this is my prayer, is that many of you this morning are actually you're here and you're listening and you're like, actually, I'm thriving. Because seriously, uh, I am enjoying God's presence. He's been the source, and my life isn't perfect. And um, but yeah, it's really good. And I guess to you, I'd want to say, just enjoy, like like remain in that, make your home in that, make your home in Him. It's good news. So uh, let me pray for us, and then uh, I'll let you go. And my prayer for us as a community this week is simple. is that we continue, as we continue to kind of organize our lives around you, Jesus, as we make you the center, the vine from, the source from which we derive our meaning, that your spirit would remind us and teach us and help us to abide, that our default would be to be, like, to rest and just enjoy your love, to not put the towel over our face and weep and, and, and be angsty about it, God, but there'd be a lightness to this. We'd rest in your love. We'd rest in the fact that you like us today, God. You're for us. And I pray that that would produce something powerful, something that the world looks at and goes, oh, that's different. They're his disciples. Um, Love, joy, and peace. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey. Uh, so good to be here with you this morning. Excited for to continue the series. I was really thankful to get together at the worship night on Wednesday. And uh, this week we've got a bunch of the... Um, uh, times to connect around the fires. And so uh, these, we've been calling them summer nights. And so uh, Pastor Ryan will be there, a bunch of others, and I just look forward to connecting with you. I love being together in the flesh. And uh, yeah, miss you all. We'll see you soon. Bye.